Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Everybody and welcome to the Forza Italian Football Podcast. As ever, I'm your host Connor Clancy, and I'm joined by Kev Pugzelski, who has taken up a strange seating position. Kev, I'm gonna avert my eyes away from the screen. How are you? I'm I'm good. Yeah, I realised I shouldn't lean back so far <laughs> because it makes me look extremely small on your uh, on your screen. But uh, yeah, we're decorating, so I'm in a different room, surrounded by just. Mess. In that position, it wasn't your face looking small that I was concerned about. It was something else <laughs> potentially popping into the screen. Everything around my knees got uh, <laughs> larger, but uh, were the largest thing that you could see. Um, this is a bit strange, Kev, isn't it? Because I mean, it's Easter, so all of the Serie A games are played on Saturday. So we're taking advantage of that by not recording at an ungodly hour, and we're here chatting on Easter Sunday at what is it? just gone one o'clock in the afternoon it's daylight yeah it's, it's strange being in daylight um i must admit i do like the um well i suppose i like and i dislike the easter games uh it's mm. nice that everything's done you know it felt like everything everything was done yesterday i suppose it, it helped that there was a lot of interesting and entertaining games um but then any time that i'm able to get over to italy easter is like quite nice because you don't have to take holiday um but then you're sort of stuck with not being able to do what i've done in the past which is you know go from turin to milan and then to to verona and get three games in a weekend you just can't do it over the easter but it's quite nice to but then for italy to stick to their tradition of not playing on easter sunday and uh for everything to be sort of condensed into um a one match day if you like like we used to have 20 30 years ago yeah i actually really like easter when i'm in italy 
because it means I'm at a game, so I don't have to worry about everybody else's reports. <laughs> but when I'm not in Italy, it is a bit annoying. So this year, I was a bit frustrated. I ended up through people being sick and stuff, having to write, I think it was four reports yesterday. And it was just a nightmare, a nightmare. Speaking of illnesses, Vito Doria, as you can probably tell already, isn't with us this week, unfortunately. He's, he's fallen ill as Vito, so wishing him all the best in his recovery, and hopefully he'll be back for next week's pod. But, Kev, we've got plenty of football to talk about because there were 10 games, of course, in Serie A over the weekend, and only two teams didn't score, Bologna and Cagliari very much letting the side down in that regard. But games between, I mean, napoli Crotone made up for that, Atalanta Udinese expectedly did as well, and then Sassuolo Roma and Torino-Juve all packed full of goals so it all started yesterday afternoon Saturday with Milan 1-1 Sampdoria Theo Hernandez played a blinder for Samp in that one Atalanta beat Udinese 3-2 Napoli beat Crotone 4-3 Benevento Parma played at a 2-2 draw as did Sassuolo Roma Genoa Fiorentina was 1-1 and I'm just realizing now just how many draws there were yesterday uh, Verona won at Cagliari 2-0. Lazio beat Spezia 2-1, but Daniele Verde for Spezia scored arguably the goal of the season so far. Toro drew 2-2 with Juve in the Derby della Mole, and Inter beat Bologna 1-0 thanks to who other than Romelu Lukaku. Kev, what was your standout game from this weekend's round? And we'll start there. Uh, I, I, I watched uh, Napoli Crotone. Um, so yeah, probably that it was. It was, I suppose, end to end. I think it went two nil, two one. Yeah, but um, the only uh, thing is, that it probably makes me think that that is probably what's going to hold Napoli back, and because they're defending at times was atrocious. Mm. Uh, probably all three Crotone goals were mistakes, or not not obvious mistakes like we'll probably get onto between Milan and Samp, but mistakes where they just collectively they don't at times know where each other are um so the off side line that you're assuming they're trying to to keep just lets a man sort of drift by up beyond them um confusion over who's going for the ball um for the first Cotone goal and you just think you know they've, they've got so much right at the other end of the pitch if they can get in the defensive side is this uh, would this not be something that you're willing to just kind of write off and say okay Kulabeli wasn't there. They were playing with Maksimovic and Manolas as their centre-backs, who are obviously something of an unfamiliar pairing. Manolas and Kulabeli, or Maksimovic and Kulabeli, are a little bit more familiar, but these were also the two other guys playing together. So mistakes are a little bit more likely to happen in that situation. Yeah, I suppose so. I, I suppose I was, I was just with everything yesterday, just forgot that Kulabeli wasn't there. Um, but I don't know if... Yeah, maybe I'm misremembering how often they allow sides to get in behind them and, and throw away what was a three-one lead. Um, but it will be—I suppose—I was thinking about it in the context that they play Juve on Wednesday, mm. uh, which is you know they're now joint on fifty-six points, I think it is, and they could leapfrog Juventus, but Juventus still, as they did on um, the Saturday afternoon, looked like scoring. And if Napoli are as disorganised as what they were this weekend, then um, they might need to just outscore Juve and Turin to take three points. Do you think it's just going to be a bit of a goal fest there? Because Juve don't look that great defensively. You saw 
Kulusevski, unfortunately for him and me, <laughs> made a bit of a mistake to let um, Tony Sanabria get his second in the Derby de la Mole. But that's going to be a fun game to watch, Juve Napoli. Yeah, you, you, you hope that from a neutral perspective, and unless it just becomes because they, they're aware of their uh, frailties at the back, that then it becomes a bit too cagey. And, you know, neither side are pushing to sort of get that number of goals or take them past the opposition. And, and you know, we, we're left with a, a nil-nil, 1-1. I imagine Juventus wouldn't be too disappointed if they took a point from that game and just stayed marginally ahead of Napoli. I've seen your team of the week, Kev, and I know Lorenzo Insigne is in there. He may or may not be player of the week. I can't quite remember that. But this week, don't tell people. Um how good was that assist for Aussie men's goal? Obviously, Insigne had opened the scoring himself after 19, and then three minutes later, he pulled off what can only be described as a Paolo Di Canio-esque scissor kick, but not to score, but instead to knock it back across goal for Aussie men to come in and tap in. It was gorgeous. Yeah, I think he potentially could have done it a little bit more orthodox, but uh, you know why not if you've got that in your locker? Where's the uh, fun in that? What are you doing? Exactly. No, exactly. But uh, yeah, it, it was innovative to, to to do the scissor kick and play it over. And uh, yeah, Ozzyman had an extremely easy task because he was just a couple of yards from, from goal. Yeah, I'm personally quite pleased to see Ozzyman score, actually. And I don't know what it is, but that front three, Insignia Mertens and Ozzyman, I just want them to score all of the goals every time they play because they have their little dance that they do when they score. And it's just a, it's a great time. Um, so long may that continue for Napoli. On Crotone side of things, they continue to be quite fun to watch because we don't support them, so we don't have any vested interest. And Simi scored twice and Junior Messi has scored. If you were to write the script of Crotone's season, it would be pretty much that, right? Simi, Messi has do well, but Crotone lose. Yeah, but they, they it was all Napoli for the first 15 minutes and it wasn't until... Um, Crotone got a goal through again through the sort of miscommunication between the back line that they finally perked up um, because uh, Simi certainly just wasn't getting you know much of the ball at all and as soon as the rest of the team realised you know we might be able to get something from this and they actually go out and play some of the you know the nice stuff that they have this season um, it makes for a, a much better spectacle and actually they, they might have picked up a few more points this season if they'd done that actually from from, from kickoff in some games I think if you hadn't picked Napoli Crotone as the game of the weekend, we naturally would have started with the Derby della Mola. So let's go there now. Juve cr- travelled across the city and drew 2-2 at Torino. And they were lucky to get even that because Torino at times played very, very well. And it took uh, Cristiano Ronaldo equaliser quite late on. 79th minute, I think that counts as late. Um, and yeah, they, they levelled 2-2 left with a point. But Kev, there are frailties, there are problems, there are real serious issues with Juve. And now there are reports, unconfirmed reports, uh, that that this Napoli game is going to be make or break for Andrea Pirlo. Yeah, I've, I've seen those reports. I think if Juve want to be seen a little bit differently, then maybe they do need to stick to their guns and say, you know, we feel, you know, depending on how strongly they feel they've made, they've made the right choice. 
Um, obviously, they, they were they were they were lucky in a sense of getting the late. <laughs> I think I did have a existential crisis over whether I was putting this late as my, as my <laughs> and I think I ended up just leaving it out. Um, yeah, because because actually the first fifteen minutes, the Torino defence are a, a lot like Napoli's, and mm. um, Chiesa slipped in Morata, mm. Syria made a, a great save. They had two or three other chances, all within the same first ten minutes, which you don't often see, not in the games that I write match reports for, because usually I'm sort of teasing out two or three chances in the first fifteen to twenty minutes. I ended up writing that we had a var a var call between uh, Delit and Bellotti which didn't get given as a penalty for Torino. We had those three to four chances for Juve. Um, and then they went ahead because, you know, they looked up for it in the same way as Torino looked up for it after those, the sort of, uh, the treble chances for, for Juventus. But after that, it was all Torino again. They had obviously, Juve had Danilo playing in a sort of a defensive midfield role because of the issues with people not following coronavirus yeah. protocols yeah. and suspensions to the two centre halves, but that shouldn't excuse really for that it was a it, it was quite a poor performance for a lot of the game from Juventus, and it's it's a it's a story I've seen so often this year that they have a lot of the ball, uh, particularly in the second half after going behind about thirteen seconds in in. That they 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 just didn't you just not convinced that they were going to actually find that goal and 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 you would not have expected that you know if if that if that very narrow offside call had gone against them and they'd have lost this game and you know Torino would have been in a much better position from a relegation perspective. A lot of the time with football, um, what you feel almost matters more than what you're actually seeing in front of you, right? And for so many years, Juve won nine straight Scudetti. Everybody knows this. But how often over those nine years, particularly in the last, what, three, maybe, were Juve playing and you're watching and thinking, they're not doing anything, but I feel that they're going to go and win it. You know, and there was always that feeling. If Juve were 1-0 down and playing terribly in the 71st minute, you'd think, Juve are still going to win this game. Now you don't have that feeling, you know? No. Even yesterday when Juve drew level, I never really thought, ah, oh, Juve are going to go on and win this now. Whereas before, that would have been just, yeah, we can stop watching. Juve are level, they're going to go and win. And it does just, I suppose, it, like I said, it's it's nothing really, but it kind of just highlights what's what they've become this season under Pirlo and... I don't know if I'm being harsh to say that the the incident with the the party that they claim wasn't the party at Weston McKenney's house, basically Arthur Mello and Paolo Dybala went around his and they got in trouble for, obviously, because that's not allowed under Italy's current coronavirus restrictions. Um, It wouldn't have happened if Allegri was in charge. It, it just would not have happened. This would not be an issue. But... It just seems like with Pirlo in charge, maybe things are a little bit more relaxed. Am I being a little bit harsh there with that one? No, I think, um, you know, I'd argue Sari was a little bit more of a, uh, what's the word, dictatorial figure. But even so, I think when, when I suppose they've moved from this very cohesive team, which was created under Conti, carried on from Allegri, and they've almost bought into the um, 
the sort of era of the the, the player, you know, whether that's one player in particular mm. who wears number seven. Um, but I think if you are bringing in somebody like that and it almost looks like your project is rather than following a team over ethos, but following a, a player-led ethos, then some of the others can maybe, uh, with or without good reason, maybe get delusions of grandeur or what they can get away with. And so, you know, I just wonder if that almost feels like a, an institutional shift between something very, very sort of together um, to now uh, something that's given the, the players a little bit of freedom to run a mock, if that's probably a little bit too strong. Kev, you did the report for us for this. Firstly, can you um, can you please stop playing with the ball because it's coming across audibly. Um, but you did the report for us on this one, and I, I think it would be harsh if we didn't give some credit to Torino because, for for context, they're just outside the relegation zone. They've had a pretty miserable season. Only Parma have won fewer than their four games this season. Um. They've won the same number of games as Crotone, but they went at Juve as if they were a team full of confidence and on the verge of European places. And I think you've got to kind of take your hat off and give them a little bit of praise for that. Yeah, I couldn't remember the last time I saw Torino in full, but it felt as though this was a huge transformation into what I'd, what I'd seen before. Um, it, it, it almost felt like... Uh, so previous seasons where they can be playing poorly and the derby comes around and, and that home crowd sort of gives them that sort of edge, that bite. You know, you know, Thomas Rincon went into my team of the week because, you know, without that combativeness in the midfield, um, I don't think, you know, that was that was one of the platforms for them to build and actually grow in confidence to actually go and attack, attack, attack Juve. The problem is certainly their fans haven't seen it often enough this season. Um, they went on that terrible run where they hadn't won in something like 17 or 19, maybe. Uh, you know, so you've, you've not won against half of the half of the league, and I just, I just wonder. I suppose, I suppose they're saved really by Cagliari, Palmer, and Crotone being so awful. But you kind of expect one of those teams to go on a run and hope. Well, I was going to say hopefully. I've got no real allegiance to Torino, but if they can build on this performance, then they're the side that you can see pulling away from the others. They've got a game in hand. If they replicate that performance in the next couple of weeks, you would think they will pick up points and continue to pull away. That game in hand, I believe, is against Sassuolo as well, which... No, is it? No, they played that game. Apologies. Who is that game in hand against? Inter? Uh, I yes. can't remember. Uh, okay. It is Inter, isn't it? Because that game was postponed because of Inter's COVID cases, or was it because of Torino's? I can't remember. There's been a lot of postponed games and a lot of catch-up happening. But yeah, usually teams at the bottom of the league, you don't expect them to win their game in hands. Games in hand. Yes, game is the noun in that situation. But yeah, who knows what will happen? Who knows what will happen down there next? And it shouldn't really be the next thing we talk about, but I think it needs a little bit of recognition because Sassuolo played Roma at the Matpei Stadium and they drew 2-2. But what was remarkable about this game from my perspective is that this was a Sassuolo team who were without Domenico Berardi, Ciccio Caputo, Gianmarco Ferrari and Manuel Locatelli. Why? Because their coach, Roberto De Zerbi, 
took the decision to leave those guys out of the match day squad because of the outbreak, mini outbreak of sorts in the Italy squad. I think this is a really, really admirable decision from De Zerbi. And he said in his pre-match press conference that, look, I don't see what all the fuss is about. It's a wise decision that if it hurts anyone, it hurts us, not the opposition. So stop making a fuss about it. It does it show just how low the bar is in football when you've got Lazio doing what they were doing with the COVID tests that I look at this and, and just want to give De Zerbi an ovation. I think this is an incredible decision and I'm glad that they weren't beaten. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Yeah, um, I just wonder if, if it had been a different, a different side and also a different opposition. Um, because, you know, let's say they did that and it was against... Palmer and Palmer went to them up and then drew no, and Palmer and then Palmer won and you know and then they, they leapt out of the relegation it's, it's it's easy to praise it when it doesn't it doesn't have that impact on impact on the competitive balance of the league or so you know right but it, it did because Roma are in the hunt for a Champions League are they <laughs> yeah I am um, I I I I probably I I accept that they they're in the hunt, um, but Deserby maybe looked at the reality and thought, well, it's not going to harm us. It might help them. I think you're they, being cynical. I think you're being cynical. I think Deserby's done quite a good <laughs> thing here. <laughs> uh, I'm willing to give him praise. I don't think the opposition came into it. If anything, I think it's an easier decision to to rest them against someone like Parma. And say, ah, oh, yeah, I'm doing it for this big noble cause, but against Roma, I think also that um, you know we, across Europe there were teams where they'd had players away for international duty, and they were they were resting them, you know, regardless of the minutes that they'd spent on the pitch. So I suppose it maybe it reinforced a decision that he had, kind of in the back of his mind anyway. Hmm. I suppose your 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 training for that time that the other players are away with 
you know, a squad and getting them ready for the game. So why not focus on those that you can drill for a particular uh, routine? And you, the argument about the whole competitive balance uh, and then, you know, people saying, oh, they should be fine for weakened teams and that. It's like you do realise they've got a squad of X number of players. They are professional. They should be able to call on any one of them. Mm. You know, you're who you feel is their best 11 against the coach's best 11, you know, is this interpretation you're just making on an individual basis and it, you know, shouldn't really uh, matter. No. Okay. Uh, what a day for Giacomo Raspadori, though, because this is a guy, 21 years old, born quite close by to Sassuolo in, in the province of Bologna, I think it was. So not in what province are Sassuolo in? Modena? Maybe. Don't, ask me. <laughs> Don't know. No, definitely won't ask you. But 21 years old, he had the captain's armband on and he scored an 85th minute equaliser. Not a bad day for the kid. No, and he enjoyed it by the look of it. He did. He did enjoy it. And who can blame him? But another thing about this one was that Hamad Junior Traore scored and he did the celebration, which his brother, Ahmad, had done when he scored for Manchester United against Milan. We blocked out one eye and blocked out one ear. Everybody was kind of losing their minds when Ahmad did it, trying to work out what does this mean. And then I think this is Junior's first goal since that. And he did it back. So it's it's a lovely little thing. And I think, I could be wrong on this, but I'm pretty certain that Ahmad Ahmad blocked his right eye and left ear. And Junior did left eye and right ear. I think. I could be wrong on that, but it's nice. You love to see it, don't you? I, I see you care about these things far more than I do. <laughs> I, mean, I, 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 I just off. like those two guys. They, they seem like really nice guys and they're good players too. I'm not sure the highlight showed me the celebration and I'm not even sure I was aware of um, the celebration Ahmed did at Manchester United. So. Okay, right, whatever, whatever. If you say so, Kev, you're always right. You're always right. Where do you want to go next? Um, where have we just come from? You may well. I suppose, I suppose we should go to the other side that fell behind into first. Oh, do we have to do that? Right. Milan played Sampdoria and stunk the place out. Um, Teo Hernandez in particular, gifted, absolutely gifted, wrapped it up lovely with a bow and everything on it. Fabio Quagliarella, what was to his credit, a gorgeous finish. Two really nice goals in this game, but Quagliarella's. So, Teo Hernandez has the ball in his own half, right? And you think, if you stopped the play there and said, there's a goal going to be scored in the next five seconds, what's going to happen? You'd say, Teo thumps it long and Zlata and gets in. Nope. Teo, without looking, just passes the ball in the general direction of his centre halves, but not actually to either of them. And Qualiarella nips in and from what, like 30 yards, just lifts it over Donnarumma with the easiest goal he'll probably score this season. But it was still quite a nice one. Yeah, you say you gift wrapped it. I felt there was quite a lot to do because Donnarumma wasn't obscenely off of his line. Um, I, I did say, I did tweet at the time that if that lands to Candreva, it's probably in the stands. Oh, yeah. He's, yeah, he's just hitting it. So you do need it to fall to Qualiarella, or you argue that you need someone of Qualiarella's speed of mind to to get there. And because he didn't kind of 
dink it. It was almost it was almost like a, a cross delivery mm. because it you know had an arc of arc on it as he curled it around him. Um, I think most footballers could do that. They should be able to. Um, whether they overthink it or then they go for something spectacular, which you know I kind of put Kandreva into that category <laughs> that he tried to do something, you know. Ridiculous. What I did find what I did find funny before we move on to the other the other goal is that about a minute, two minutes later, Quagliarella was clearly still riding the crest of that goal. And um he he sort of controlled the ball and he knocked it over the head of Tamori and then attempted to yeah. beat him. <laughs> yeah. And I thought, you are just, you know, the, the adrenaline from that goal. It's like, you probably couldn't do that 15 years ago. It's like, trying to do that against, what, a 23-year-old, 24-year-old centre-back? And it's like, oh, it was just, I admire, you know, I was, I was just chuckling to myself, admiring just the, you know, the thought of that he'd be able to do it. And... Uh, yeah, very much tickled me. You could just imagine Ranieri on the sidelines seeing that and going, Fabio, Fabio, you're 38. Come on, <laughs> you can't do that anymore. But yeah, like you say, even 15 years ago, Qualiarella in peak physical form against Tomori now, he's not winning that race. Tomori's quick. But I thought it was nice. I thought it was very nice. But Milan, Kev, they were fortunate not to lose this. Yeah, they were... They were just very passive in the play. You know, I tell you what makes me. We'll get onto the goal, which I think actually is a mistake on the goalkeeper's part, even though it was oh. it was well finished. But uh, it probably started with the first. You know, the first half there was a penalty shout, which again the UK broadcasters were arguing amongst themselves whether it was a penalty or not. But you can kind of you can kind of judge the mentality or the the mood within a team when. Milan, actually you've had done it on a few times this season. They're just trying to get themselves into the box and sign, um, get defenders to make contract contacts so they can and throw themselves down. Mm. That air of desperation is not what you want to see. When firstly you had, you know, regardless of them having a, a very good season, but firstly you were going for the Scudetto. You know, you had hopes of clinching the Scudetto. Now you're clinging on to to the coattails of your crosstown rivals by trying to get people to foul you in the box because you've kind of you're devoid of ideas in an attacking sense. It um I'm reminded of that Duvan Zapata quote when Milan wanted a penalty against Atalanta for something that wasn't a penalty and it wasn't given where he said you've had 13 penalties already that's not enough for you this season. And it, it does seem like that because there were a few times where I noticed it too. Milan players got into the box, realised they couldn't shoot and were waiting to be touched. Not to be fouled, to be touched. And I jokingly tweeted a, a little gif of Britney Spears, hit me baby one more time, saying like, this is what Milan players are like when they get into the box. and They need to be a bit more inventive than that. Yeah, and they won't admit it, but but referees and, and you know other people will be mindful of that. You know, they'll, they'll see it in the press or they'll read it or they'll be, you know, so it's... It's maybe not going to do them any favours taking that tact anymore. Well, you, you shouldn't take it in the first instance, I'd argue, but mm. the problem is you can so easily win penalties that way these days. I can kind of see why clubs do it, but as a fan, you're thinking, you know, shoot or do something else. So it's like, you know, this isn't work- <laughs> this isn't working. We've been trying to do this for the last 10 minutes, mm. uh, but we sort of mix it up a little bit. Um, 
they are still second. Oh no, do you want to talk about the Jens Peter Hauger goal? Because Emilio Dero didn't exactly cover himself in glory. He had three defenders around Hauger and for some reason decided that's not enough. I've got to deal with this myself. Came out and Hauger finished very, very well, to be fair. Yeah, because the thing was, is Kessie slid Hauger in, but the ball is taking him away from the goal. You've got two Sampdoria players going with Hauger. Now, Hauger realise he's not going to get a shot off, so he cuts back inside. He takes those two Samp players out. You know, that's a mistake of the, the defenders there, I suppose, being sold. But in the you know, there's a third man coming over to to who doesn't quite have time to sort of square his body up to Hauger to make it as big a uh, barrier for curling it in as possible. But then suddenly you realise Aldero's rushed out and he stood alongside one of the two players that mm. have been sold the other way. And Hauger's probably a good, I suppose, 10 yards from goal. So, but where he kills it in, if the goalkeeper is back on the line, when there's then now the fourth defender, and it's waist height, you know, it's not, we've not put it in the top of the corner, he's not had to go low for it. He probably just picks it out of the sky. Hauger doesn't shoot. There's no option to shoot because there's nothing for him to actually aim at. But no. Adele leaves what is effectively an open goal that Hauger just has to like whip the ball around into. Yeah, but credit was due. Cool finish, especially for a youngster. You know, it'd be the type of thing you'd you'd see Fabio Quagliarella do and think, yeah, business as usual. But mm. for a kid like that, I've been quite impressed with him when I've seen him this season. They are still second, though they are just two points clear now. Milan of Atalanta, who are third, they've they've moved ahead of Juve, albeit that is pending the result of Juve Napoli in midweek. The winner of that will move ahead of Atalanta, unless it's a draw, of course. But the way things are going, you'd back Atalanta to move ahead of Milan before too much longer. Yeah, possibly, particularly the way uh, Muriel and Zapata. Oh, it's playing. silly, isn't it? It's silly. Yeah, Muriel looked like a man possessed uh, first half against Udinese, and um, you know, rightly got a couple of goals. <laughs> and then he was taken off. What was that about, by the way? Is that Gasp just saying nope, not today, Lewis? You're not getting your hat trick today. Oh, you, you have to save that for another game. Yeah, I I don't know. Um, I don't think they would have travelled. Didn't, didn't they call off the uh, South American qualifiers? So yeah. It's not as if they've come back from anywhere. Um, yeah, maybe just keep him in line, but I don't know. He's a great, great player. And obviously, he's, he just, he's just one of those players where it's nice to see them play with a, a smile on their face because too much of professional football these days, you know, even coaches ask players to be a little bit more stony-faced and look, uh, I suppose, like they're doing a professional job, whereas Maria just seems to enjoy it. He does, and that's one of my favourite things about him. It's in that Ronaldo way, not Cristiano, the, the, the proper one, that he does things when he's playing football that you'd do if you were having a kickabout with your mates. You know, like when he goes through on Juan Musso's goal, you shoot normally, but he's just like, nah, I'll just get a run towards him and skip past him and then tap it into an open goal because it's more fun that way. And some of the shots he takes, you don't think they're, in terms of the percentage chance of him scoring them, are good decisions to make, but he's just having a good time, so he tries these things. Yeah, I think I think you do have to be supremely talented to play with a smile on your face because mm. um, if you're, say, even an average footballer, um, you you probably need to stay 
serious, you know, look serious. So your coach just doesn't think you're taking them all the time. Yeah, yeah, quite possibly. But Muriel, love him, love him to bits. And Duvan Zapata scored again as well, which was good. It was a good finish. And that's now back to back Serie A games after the apparent drought of five. Um, and it's a, it's always a good day when both Colombians score. But what was interesting was Gasp went with a back four again, and nobody saw it coming. He he hadn't played a back four for five years, and now he's done it in back to back games. I asked last time, is this something that we could expect to see a little bit more of going forward? And everyone said no. But Kev, is this something we can expect to see a little bit more of going forward? Yeah, maybe because I saw your tweet about this, and I thought, oh, okay, I've, I had the I had the game recorded, so I sat down and watched it this morning, and I thought, let's see how rigidly they stick. And I think it's like, I think it's like a lot, you know, when you've got a fullback in Toloi playing on the right and Gosens on the left, it's you know we were talking before we came on air, whatever mm. this is, um, about how fluid football formations at elite level now are, and if they attack so much down that left-hand side, then it almost pulls it back into that free. But yeah, it's, I mean, I can certainly see them starting with it again, but how often it actually sort of remains a rigid back four, I think, particularly in, you know, in Atlanta's case where they, they, they have all these moving pieces and, you know, the four, the, the, the defenders so often join in the attacks. Um, I saw a, Statistical analysis actually on Atalanta earlier in the season when they played Liverpool in the Champions League, and it was the the triangles of what would have been then a back three between the the centre forward, the mm. the far defender, and then that wing back, and how they kind of move, you know, in those transitions. So, yeah, they, they'll probably they'll probably start on paper with a back four again, but Atlanta Atalanta, Atalanta are one of the most uh, probably fluid thinking. Uh, teams out there. Yeah, you would, you would be hard pressed to disagree with that. We've not spoken about the league leaders yet. Inter went away to Bologna, and of course they won one nil. And of course it was Romelu Lukaku who scored a goal. Look, it was a pretty bad game. There, there's not too much to talk about, but I do want to talk about Romelu Lukaku because I've got a bit of a bee in my bonnet because people still don't think he's good, and I just cannot understand it. So. We put out a tweet about Lukaku on FIF last night and someone responded saying, you people are deluded. He failed at Manchester United. By the way, the next sentences finish are about he, right? So he finished bottom of his Champions League group, not Inter, he did. He crapped the bed against Juve in the Coppa Italia and he's not even top of the goal scoring charts. Go figure. Now, Kev, I don't know about you, but personally, I don't think a goal-scoring record of 42 goals and 13 assists in 96 games can be considered a failure at any club, never mind a club in the state that Manchester United were at while he was there. And I cannot for the life of me understand why people don't think or won't allow themselves to believe that Romelu Lukaku is an incredible centre forward. Have you any idea what these people are thinking? 
No, I think you've got you've got the issue where people don't take into account the environment where somebody has the opportunity to thrive or succeed or whatever. Uh, yeah, because it's an excellent goal scorer in return when you consider that he was under a a very um, pragmatic Jose Mourinho. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also people kind of just tend to pick and choose which periods they want to compare, you know, when they're, they're looking at any number of statistics, you know, that, you know, this is a, that was a Manchester United side that obviously won a lot of titles, but they haven't won one since I can't even remember now. I'm going to say 2011. They won the Europa League in 2017, I believe, right? Yeah. I'm thinking league totals, I suppose. Mm. Uh, um, but yeah, you know, people should just get over themselves. You know, look at what he's doing at Inter. Look at how fundamentally he is. Uh, and if you make him that sort of focal point of your side, the, you know, the, the the rewards that that can bring, you know, they, they were, what, a, a few goals away from clinching the Europa League last year. They were a few performances from pushing Juventus closer in last season's Serie A. And they're going to take the total this year. Can I just read out some numbers, Kev? So I'm going to go through Lukaku's goal-scoring numbers for his clubs. And then because apparently he doesn't do it in the Champions League, I'll also tell you his Champions League numbers and you can decide if if he has failed anywhere, right? So with Everton, 166 games, 87 goals, 29 assists. With Anderlecht, 98 games, 41 goals, 18 assists. United, very, very similar. 96 games, 42 goals, 13 assists. Inter, so far, 86 games, 60 goals, 13 assists. West Brom, 17... Oh, no, sorry, 38 games, 17 goals, 7 assists. In the Champions League, he's played 27 games and he scored 13 goals. Assisted three more. Europa League, he has played 33 games, scored 20, and assisted nine. You cannot fault any of those records. No, and I suppose the you know what I was saying earlier, we've got a third factor, which we're playing in this era of Ronaldo mm-hmm. and Lionel Messi. Um, but probably for the last hundred years, if you're a striker and your record, you know you've got a one in two a goal every two games record, then that is what people will pay a lot of money for. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so the comparisons there don't don't help anybody in, in the current current era. No, they, they absolutely don't. And I made that point as well because if, if you don't think Romelu Lukaku is a good striker, just stop watching football, really. It's probably not for you. I, I also think this is one of the things that has... Players like Dejan Kulusevski judge so harshly because he's not putting up numbers like Mbappe and Haaland. He's basically, ah, he's a flop, he's terrible, he's only good at Parma. And it just misses the point. I do think, honestly, even, uh, go. I think, you've got, I think you've, got, you've got a generation now that watch, that don't actually watch football, mm. you know, not in its entirety. They watch clips and they look at statistics because they can link the statistics back to what they see on whichever you know console game it is they're choosing to 
to play. Um, and I think even if they're watching 90 minute games on TV, some of these people should get out of their rooms. You know, if you can't afford or you can't get to your chosen club or get to see Lukaku at Inter, go out and watch a game in a stadium and get a, a better understanding for what a player in any position does off of the ball movement wise. And then if you are lucky enough to go and see Lukaku at Inter, you will be wowed by his overall contribution to a team, you know, any team. And this goes back to what we were saying about feelings earlier. When you're in a stadium and Lukaku gets the ball, everyone just kind of nudges up on their seat a little bit. And you can see it with the, the players he plays with. When other players have the ball, it's just, okay, okay, okay. Lukaku gets the ball, everyone's on alert. Everyone's ears are up. Hakimi's up the pitch. Lautaro's making moves because they know when Lukaku has the ball, things happen. He's what a player. What a really, really good player. I personally am of the opinion that in the next few years, football is going to seem dreadful because Cristiano Ronaldo and Messi are going to retire and nobody's going to be doing numbers like them. And people are just going to think, I think there's going to be a little bit of a hangover period where people realize just how abnormal what they did was because we've been desensitized to it now. And you see, if Messi doesn't score twice, you think, oh, he's had a bad game. He's only scored one today or he didn't score at all. He's in crisis. And it's it's just unbelievable. But anyway. Yeah, it's, it's just so easy for the clickbaiters to mm. you know, do all these things. You know, we've got... I think we've got Sergio Ramos was 180 caps or something mm. he got coming off the last 10 minutes of Spain the other night. And you you know, you need to always um, provide it's not similar, you know, but comparative statistics. You know, it's like we're we're in an era now where there are there are twice three times as many national sides when we're looking at, you know, so the games that are getting played and the mm. goals are getting scored. You've got people chasing records from 40, 50 years ago, but they're not comparative because, you know, the leagues were smaller. The players were sort of, in some cases, semi-professional. It's uh, it just, it, it's it's a bugbear with me when you sort of see these things where, I don't know, I suppose you've got it in the Premier League. Nothing existed before 1992. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and... and and uh, there are reasons to say, you know, we just look at the last the last decade when VIR's been, you know, thank God VAR hasn't been around for a decade, but, you know, you look at smaller sample sizes to get, you know, comparative um, baseline to actually sort of judge these people. But, yeah, let's not get too far into statistics. I'm not working this weekend. <laughs> there we go. Uh, Lazio beat Spezia 2-1. Daniela Verde scored what is for me, and I can't remember any other goals before this weekend, but it's goal of the season. Hands down, no questions. But Lazio won. They they still are yet to convince, but I think that's what, nine home games? Nine winning in a row or nine unbeaten in a row at home? Um, Obviously, and I mean obviously, Felipe Casado popped up with a late winner. <laughs> Then question penalty, right? But we're not going to question the penalty. Okay. Lazio then got two players sent off, but Lazio are—they're a funny team this year because when they're on their day, they're very, very good and they look great under Simone Inzaghi and everything looks rosy. But 
there's just something about them this season that's not quite right enough of the time. And I think that's going to be why in the end they don't get top four. Yeah, well, they say it's the hope that kills you. And I said that a couple of weeks ago. That it's, they, they, you know there's so much more in there mm. that when they have one of those off days, it must frustrate you know, Lazio fans. Yeah, I'm just looking at their the goal-scoring numbers at the moment. Sorry, but I was thinking 45 scored in 28 games. I don't know if I'm being harsh, and it's because I watch Atalanta more than anyone else, but that just doesn't seem very, very good. You know, for for a team like Lazio, where last season you had this this amazing, joyous attacking force with with Immobile, Caicedo, Luis Alberto, Sergei Milinkovic, Savage, and you just want a little bit more from them, maybe. But maybe that's harsh. I don't know. I'll be honest with you, Kev. I didn't watch this game because I watched too many games yesterday. So unless you watch this one. I think we could probably move nope, past that. I just saw the highlights. No, okay. Um, I, I was just reading, basically recounting what I saw Alistair McKenzie say on Twitter. <laughs> that's basically my go-to for everything Lazio related. Yeah, that's never, that's never a bad thing. <laughs> no, he's good, isn't he? He, he knows more yeah. than most people. About... He's very informed and very, uh, you know, well, he's, not, he's clearly not neutral. No. But he's, no. Uh, you know, he's honest. He's, he's good. If you want Lazio updates, go follow Alistair McKenzie. Uh, good guy. Um, what's next? Let's get down to the bottom, shall we? Because I think that's all that there's left to do. We've covered the mid-table teams by covering the top teams. Uh, Parma Benevento. Benevento Parma, rather. 2-2. Oh, Parma. They didn't blow a lead this time, though, Kev. They fought back twice, and they had a lead temporarily, but it was taken away from them for a decision that I can't work out. I can't work it out. I don't want to get into decisions, so we won't talk about it. But, I mean, they did well. Yeah, it was more positive that they weren't throwing a lead away and that they they got themselves back into the game. And had it not been for Lorenzo Ontopo that... They, they potentially could have had a really, really sort of positive result to take into the last. I think that's right, but I also think they needed three points from this. Oh, they, I, they no doubt they did, but I suppose when you're in the situation they are, you take the positives where you can get them. Yeah, I suppose. And this is a Benevento team just off the back of beating Juve as well. So if they had gotten this result two weeks ago, it would have been a lot worse than... It is now, maybe. Um, Kev is shuddering at the thought of Benevento beating Juve. Apparently, I don't know what the problem is there. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what that symbolises. <laughs> chill came up my spine. People say it's, it's when a, a ghost passes through you, right? Do you believe oh, okay. in that? Well, I don't know. This this house of ours makes enough noises that you know, something could be existing within the walls, but uh, I can't say I'm a believer. You've got a few skeletons in your closet as well, so I wouldn't be surprised. Um, <laughs> two, two closets. <laughs> <laughs> the the other results at the bottom, we kind of spoke about Torino drew 2-2 with Juve. Cagliari lost 2-0 to Verona, and that, this is a big result. I was at a quick exchange with Ben Hughes, our Sardinia resident, and we both just felt a little bit blue about our respective native cities. Like, native cities, no, but the places that we live in. Parma and Cagliari, it's not looking good for, for either, especially with Torino putting in that spirited performance. What? Oh, Kev, I don't know. Like, we said recently that it's going to be two of those three. 
Torino Cagliari Parma. Now it is two of those three are getting relegated. And I temporarily thought that Cagliari would stay up when Semplici came in, but they've now not won in their last four after two back-to-back wins. And they've kind of just reverted to what they were doing beforehand. But you look at the squad and it's always a dangerous thing to say, but that squad should not be getting relegated. No, they've got they've got talent there that should have been picking them up more wins than they've had. Um, for for me, Crotone are down. Palmer, are don't say it. Just just yeah, they're just dropping. They're just dropping too many points. Yeah. They're just that they're, they're down, and it's it's between Cagliari and Torino, but out of the two, Torino are the only ones that I can see getting a not a run of wins, but certainly a run of positive. Per- performances and maybe results um, I just Calorie just seem to flatter to deceive there's lots and lots of footage of them on the highlights that I see or when you actually then watch them they're you know, a, bit, a bit like a bit like Juve and, and you know Milan this weekend they've lots of the ball with no end product or very wasteful you know lots of the highlights this weekend against uh, Verona were Jao Pedro, who I can only think is going to move on if they do go down. He's got to with, with the ball and and maybe maybe doing too much because he feels you know because he has, probably has been their standout performer this season. He's he's, he's trying to get those three points himself, um, but it doesn't look like they're coming from anywhere. And then sides just pick them off and you know walk away with. I suppose. To their credit, they were playing a very good Verona side, um, mm. but it, it was a similar sort of story to what we've seen all season. But it's a Verona side now who don't have like Verona and Sassuolo are both on that position where, okay, they've got competitive pride and things like that, but their seasons are effectively over. You know, they're not going to finish in the European places. They're not going to get relegated. They are going to finish. Eight, ninth, or tenth, both of those teams. So yeah, and Cagliari should be able to take advantage of that. Yeah, yeah. And the fact that they're not is is probably the biggest indicator that they're going to go down. Because you know, compare it directly with Torino. Torino saw an understrength view. They rode out the first ten minutes, but they went for it. They took, you know, mm. they, they 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 took the positives in that. Cagliari just didn't look like they were ever destined to do that at the weekend. No, I think it's almost it's more forgivable to lose 2-0 to Benevento or someone, you know, because they're still thinking about relegation. But to lose, I don't know, it just it's not great. It's not great. The other game of the weekend was Genoa Fiorentina. It ended 1-1. I mean, who cares? Uh, well, I've got a small You've got some notes. Dusan Vlahovic scored again. He's I, I've got yeah. to hold my hands up. I was very, very skeptical about him because what another thing that is how old do we sound by the way? Another thing that is a problem in recent years is that players are never just good players anymore, and you see it every time a young Italian player comes through, they're the next best thing in Italy. Federico Chiesa was was bigged up too much at Fiorentina. Bernardeschi the same. Look at. Scamacca this season he had one good month and people are fawning over him and 
I was, and I am very, very reluctant with young players to, to go all in. And every time I watch Vlaovic, I just kind of thought, I don't see it. I really don't see it. But recently, the run of form he's put together, basically since Prandelli come in, I know he's gone now, unfortunately, but since Prandelli come in and kind of, Vlaovic even said he owes it all to Prandelli. He's shown himself to be a very, very talented player with potentially and hopefully a big future ahead of him. Yeah, he's 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 kind of become a little bit more clinical around the box. Um, I, you know, I don't know whether that is Prandelli telling him to do that. He before he sort of seemed to be doing a little bit too much away from the goal, and I I wondered if he was slightly out of position because you know he's just he. But but in the last few weeks, he he is that sort of focal point. That you know through the through the middle, um, I think probably the the first question you were asking about you know why everything is the next big thing is we've moved now to a scenario where there's always been agents wanting to obviously maximise what their what their players can can earn you know which often requires a move away what they can earn uh, and obviously more agents in the game, but you've no longer got the clubs have no longer got the financial strength to to hold on to these players. So you now see the likes of Kulusevski, Bernadeski, Chiesa move on for what in probably, you know, well, I say Italian football at its height, mm. you had, you know, six to seven really strong sides because players were kind of happy, you know, they wanted to play football. They didn't want to sort of, inflate their bank balances. They didn't have agents in their ears telling them to inflate bank balances. And also clubs had financial strength. They didn't have to sort of take the first big offer because it would allow them to restructure the team or, you know, redevelop whatever they're, they're doing, you know, a training ground. Um, and that's why there's this clamour uh, to use social media to sort of call these players the next Baggio, the next mm. Pirlo, you know, you know, Sandro Tonali at Milan's the same. It's like... He probably would have stayed at Brescia another couple of seasons without the media attention and the social media attention it got and the need for Brescia probably to use that money elsewhere to keep themselves afloat. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. Kev, have you got your team of the week to hand? I have. Right, can you run us through it? Just just name the 11 players. So, Montepo in goal, uh, the back three of Di Lorenzo, Skriniar, uh, Berezinski, the midfield of Barak, Traore, Rincon and Chiesa. I suppose I'll be in a bit, you know, use, yeah, put him on the left wing there. And then uh, front three are Sinabria, uh, Muriel and Insigne. So obviously your player of the week is one of those 11. Um, mm. Insigne is well worthy. We won't say who it is. So if you want to know, head to the site or just check out Twitter. By the time this is out, the team of the week will probably be up as well. And player of the week. Strong enough team. Not bad. Thanks. Not bad. Um, do you call him Hamed or Junior? Uh, I called him Hamed. Okay. I might have to pop in Junior as well because I, I, Sassuolo call him Junior. I, the highlights package was shown, but I'd already written it by then. Uh, <laughs> <never called> junior. <laughs> right. <laughs> Fair enough. I'll, I'll pop that in. Have you anything else to add, Kev? Because I've got a little story for you. I'm not going to name any names, but I've got a little story for you, which I, I was tickled by during the week. Go for it. Right. I've, got, I've, got, I've got nothing to add. No. Right, fair enough. I was chatting to someone at a Serie A club during the week who has quite an important role at a Serie A club. And 
it's not his first rodeo, shall we say. He's been around the block before. And he was telling me about a particular president that he worked for in the past. And originally this guy was like head of communications. So his job was quite busy, as you can imagine, at a Serie A club where about 10 years ago, coaches tend to get sacked quite often. So he had his work cut out for him. And there was one day where this the, the president appointed a new but not so new coach, if you know what I mean, and went into the dressing room and was speaking to the players and saying, right, look, I've brought back your favorite coach. He's here to stay now for the season, so you can stop being disappointed. You can start being happy and, you know, start playing and getting some points. And they played a game, a particularly difficult game, that same day. So after the president went in before the match to the dressing room and within an hour or something of the game finishing, he sent the coach a text message saying, you are a shit coach. (laughs) (laughs) And obviously it all kicked off again from there. And I just heard that story among others during the weekend. I thought I'd bring it to your ears. You know the names involved. Are you surprised? No, no. It was, well, it, it reminded me of something I read earlier in the week. I'm sure it was earlier in the week that um, Syria in Brazil mm. have taken the decision to restrict the number of coaching changes Brazilian sides can make. So they're now restricted to uh, to one change. However, there's a caveat then if they want to make a second change Mm -hmm. that providing the person is already on the payroll, they can make make as many changes as they like. See, that's just what Serie A do, though. Exactly, because I was discussing this with Vita, I think, at the start of the week. And I was like, oh, I can think of a few places where this would be quite good. But I kind of think Italy do this already because they just don't don't take their... Uh, the, The scenario that they have alluded to will happen in Syria in Brazil is that, because I'm assuming they don't do what Italian clubs do, is that um, it's progression for the coaching staff, so either assistant okay. manager or maybe another 23 coach or whatever. So, and that will be quite right because it will mean a route into, you know, maybe senior football for an under 23 coach. So it's not a case of leaving like Beppe Iacchini on the payroll and bringing them back in a couple of months down the line. Well, what will be interesting is if that's what Brazilian clubs then choose to do. Mm. I don't know if there's the sort of back and forth between coach leaving nine months later comes back. You know, I don't know if there is that scenario in in Brazil as there is. You know, reading the article, um, it would indicate that they kind of just coach A, coach B, coach C, coach D. I think there's there's half the clubs this year in Brazil have had anywhere between three and four coaches. Hmm. But they play a lot of games because they have uh, local state championships. Yeah, yeah. Maybe some form of rule in Italy would work, but... Uh, it might be a good that... idea. But I think in terms of... Cl- I'm trying, like, racking my brains here, but in terms of clubs who tend to go through more than two different coaches, so there might be a lot of changes, but it tends to be A and B swap and swap and swap. Mm-hmm. I think it's probably just Genoa and Palermo, right, in the last 10 years where they've gone through multiple coaches in one season. Yeah, I just think that most European leagues and actually clubs would benefit from there being a ruling that 
you know, you, you'd have to keep a coach for a season unless in exceptional circumstances, you know, or, you know, whatever those may, those may, those may be, ill health, a national side, you know, poaching your coach or whatever. But other than that, I think, I think clubs, clubs would benefit from it. Kev, before we finish, mm. I know you didn't want to play the game this Easter Sunday and Vito's absence meant that you thought you weren't going to have to play the game. But I'm springing a surprise on you. You've got one minute to identify a mystery Serie A player starting now. I won last week as well. Uh, Are they Italian? They're not Italian, no. Uh, Do they play in the north of Italy? They do, yes. Do they play in Turin? They do not play in Turin. Milan? Nope. Do they play in Bergamo? They do not play in Bergamo. Why didn't you just go for a region there? Uh, well, because my regional knowledge is... Okay, yeah, true. Um, do they play for either of the Genoese clubs? They do not play in the city of Genoa, no. Oh, do they play in Udine? They don't. <sighs> I'm starting to say Verona. You are really struggling. They do not play in Verona. Basically, you've got Spezia and the Emilia-Romagna clubs and Flor- Fiorentina left. Ten seconds. Okay. Do they play for Fiorentina? They do not play for Fiorentina. Yeah. <laughs> nope. Spezia? <laughs> nope. <laughs> oh, my word. Uh, Sassuolo? Time's up. God. Kev. Yeah. Kev. Who was it, yeah? The player was Bruno Alves. <laughs> oh, of course it was Bruno Alves. And oddly, Palmer was the one club I didn't go for. <laughs> Literally the only club in Northern Italy you didn't ask about. Hey, um, I'm, I'm, I'm doing my lunch. <laughs> so if you had a gone for your is it Bruno Alves tactic, you'd have had your lunch by now. But all right. Sorry. I feel like that was a bit mean. <laughs> Probably, but you can always cut it out, but you won't. I absolutely won't. If anything, it's going in before the show. Uh, Kev, it's been a pleasure. I'll speak to you again next week, I suppose. Say goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, everybody. Happy Easter. It's probably already finished Easter. Happy Easter. Bye. Io questa maglia sognavo da bambino Quando giocavo ancora col trenino Mio padre andava sempre al comunale C'era il Torino, Torino da sognare Granata è una seconda pelle Portarla è come un viaggio tra le stelle Lo so cos'è la storia e la leggenda Giochiamo noi, la fiamma non si è spenta E ancora Io sono il capitano, 
undici cuori tenuti per la mano Vincere sempre vincere con ardore Per il Torino, per il suo grande cuore È un'emozione che sempre mi attanaglia Sono del Toro e un grido mi accompagna Forza ragazzi vinciamo con onore Essere granato vuol dire fede e amore E ancora ancora è sempre toro La Madonna canta tutta in coro E ancora toro è sempre toro Il toro è grande fa tremare le gambe E ancora toro è sempre toro Cantiamo noi cantiamo tutti in coro E ancora toro è sempre toro Il toro è grande deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.